I'm RJ Bell with the sports betting headlines for Thursday. Looks like Drew Brees won't be playing this weekend against Kansas City. Line Kansas City favored by three, a little bit more even at New Orleans. We're going to make the case this could be good for the Saints. Speaking of good, Colin Cowherd announces today that he has heard from three different sources there will be an eight-team college football playoff, not this year, but before too long. We've got some strong thoughts on the idea of it and what it would mean. Tonight, Raiders hosting the Chargers here in Las Vegas. Big money on the Raiders. Line is up to three and a half. Here comes a full hour of the Vegas Truth covering all that and more. You're listening to Fox Sports Radio. 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 This is Straight Out of Vegas with the voice of Vegas, your host, R.J. Bell. The pregame show America has always wanted. I doubt the future. From the Vegas Strip, here's R.J. Bell. You heard it, I'm R.J. live in Las Vegas, live on a Thursday, live on 225 FSR stations across this great, great nation. In studio, Steve Fezzik. We're going to be talking about that Raiders game here in Las Vegas. What's your pick? You got a side or, or a prop? Prop. Oh, he's deadly on those props. Sports bettors listen for the money. Sports fans to know more than their buddies. We're the pros. He's the Joe in Los Angeles. Joe and his knocks. Always good to be here, RJ. And yes, on a day in which we've got week 15 in the NFL kicking off later on tonight. We've got a huge weekend in college football when it comes to the playoff matchups moving forward. But what is the Vegas lead here on this Thursday? I believe this Drew Brees news is significant because it could be positive for the Saints. And it's something Colin talked about today, and I thought he made some really excellent points that we need to amplify on from a Vegas perspective. So Brees, with the general feeling not going to play against Kansas City. Yeah, and it's a big matchup this weekend against the Kansas City Chiefs, and Sean Payton, the head coach for the Saints, says it's still a process. It depends on how Drew, uh, Drew Brees will be looking throughout the remainder of the week, but you got the feeling that we're not going to be seeing uh, the legendary Saints quarterback this Sunday against the Chiefs. Okay, so let's pull back the curtain on the Vegas perspective on this game. So right now, Steve... Kansas City at New Orleans. Now, obviously, home field advantage, less important when there's not a significant crowd. So for the, the Saints typically have one of the best home field advantages in the entire NFL. For this game, what would you put the home field advantage at? One and a half. Okay, and typically it's about one? Yes. And why, if, if it's not for the crowd, because... Usually in a dome with the Saints, it is the crowd that's the main issue that gives them a special home field. Why would you give more to the Saints than a typical team? Significant travel for Kansas City having to go to New Orleans. Okay, and you had been talking about where this is the fourth travel spot in the last five games, and each of them almost 1,000 miles or more. Correct, yes. Which is pretty significant. You talked about that yesterday. Okay. 
I also think in a dome with turf that's different than typical turf, being familiar with it has a little advantage. And if you don't have a crowd, it's either going to be the travel or the venue where the advantages are. So, Mile High State or in Denver, whatever the stadium's called now, the altitude, it's still a, f- a factor regardless if there's crowd or not crowd. Okay. So, the fact that Kansas City is favored by three and a little extra, you know, VIG, that means then effectively Kansas City's four and a half points better than the Saints. What is the assumption in this line about Drew Brees? That he's not going to play. Okay. Now, I personally think you, and we disagree on this, I think Taysom Hill, the downgrade from Breeze, is more than you think. So you think it's what? I think it's a three-point downgrade. Healthy Breeze versus Taysom Hill. Okay. So under that theory, you're saying that Kansas City with Breeze would be about a point and a half worse, or check that, Kansas City would be a point and a half better than the Saints, even with Breeze, because you're saying the line would be right around Pickham in New Orleans, even though they have a point and a half of home field. Yes. Okay. I believe the Breeze is worth a little bit more than that, but that's, you know, reasonable people can disagree. I think, especially in a game like this, mm. because in college football, you see this all the time. How much is that key quarterback worth from Alabama, like Tua when he was hurt? Well, when they're laying 28, not as much because the skills that a Tua has in college that the backup maybe didn't have, those skills don't come into play as a 28-point favor. But uh. in a tight game, maybe. I think Taysom Hill, down 10. When you play Kansas City, there's a chance you're going to go down 10. How much worse at that point is Taysom Hill than Drew Brees? I think that's a great point because Brees obviously much – better position to bring them back from a big deficit. So we've got a quote here, uh, Sean Payton on Breeze. Uh, it's just functionality, strength, thrown without soreness. It's really whether Breeze is asymptomatic, feeling good, strong, and like he can function and be an asset and play well. Hmm. Not really saying much there. Okay. But I think, again, the assumption is not playing. Do you agree with me upon reflection that maybe in a game so competitive, three points isn't sufficient? Because under that theory, Taysom Hill is how good in the league itself. So we debated this on the podcast last night. You got Taysom Hill where he'd be like the 25th best quarterback in the entire NFL? Yes. Okay. Jonas, from a fan's perspective... How does that resonate with you? I think uh, as far as who do I think is better for the Saints right now, uh, Drew Brees or Taysom Hill? No, specifically the idea that Taysom Hill, Fez has ranked as the 25th best quarterback in all of football. Um, So the backup quarterback's better than a bunch of starters. I would say I don't think it's the craziest thought in the world. The one thing I do definitely disagree with Fez on is the difference between Breeze and Hill and the three-point downgrade. My problem with Taysom Hill is the turnovers. He turns the ball over a lot more than Drew Brees ever has, and that's becoming more and more of an issue, and you're seeing it. There was turnovers last week, and for that reason alone, we talk about how important turnovers are in the NFL. I just think Drew Brees and the offense takes better care of the football when he's out there, and I think that alone makes Drew Brees a significant upgrade. That's Jonas Knox in Los Angeles. 
following up on his point, in four games as a starter, six fumbles from hell. Fumbles, four of them lost. Four fumbles lost from Taysom Hill. And if you just win the turnover battle in the NFL as a team, you cover the spread, which means you exceed expectation 77% of the time. Jonas is totally right. Turnovers say it all. The question when you have a quarterback that can't throw is, are they going to be forced to throw? And if you have a lead, you're favored, maybe not. When you fall behind, you got to throw. I think Breeze in that spot would be so much better. And let's not forget, let's not forget how good Breeze has played this year. All the talk from the wannabe scouts in the media, I still don't see any of them getting jobs as scouts, but okay. They could do it on the weekend. But if you look at QBR, which is a valued ranking of quarterback play, this year Breeze is ranked where? Number three. This is stunning. He didn't have his best receiver for a majority of the time. Michael Thomas not there for a majority of the time that the Saints played with Breeze this year. So Breeze, if you would, if coming in the year, if I would have said Drew Breeze is not going to have Michael Thomas for eighty-five percent of his snaps, what optimism would you have had Drew Breeze would be number three in QBR? None. I would expect him to fall just out of the top ten. I may, yeah, and and remember, we talked about this early this football season. If you look at consistency, there's only two quarterbacks that's even in the same universe, and then everybody else. And little hint, Russell Wilson's not on this list. Little hint, Aaron Rodgers isn't on this list. If you look at what's your worst QBR season just the last two years, forget this year, forget three years ago. Just 2019, 2018. Two years. Mahomes' worst has been second. The worst from Breeze, third. And no other quarterback was in the top 10 both years. None. So now you add a third year to the mix. Patrick Mahomes is there. He's one, right? Sure. Drew Breeze. He's actually two now. Oh, two. Yeah. Drew Breeze is third. So... Not only it's it's like no one else can be this consistent for two years. Now Breeze is a third, even though he's old, so old people say noodle arm, even though he didn't have his key receiver a majority of the year, or more than a majority for him, a vast majority of his snaps. Drew Breeze is a big upgrade. I think he's more of an upgrade than Fez does against a really good team. But then how could this be? An advantage. How could Drew Brees missing this game be an advantage? Now, Colin Cowherd right here in FSR made a great point. He said, Drew Brees is old. Drew Brees missed some games last year with his hand injury, and he had a good December. In fact, he was the player of the month, if I recall, in December last year. But the year before, 24 months younger than he'll be this December than he is this December. Year before, he had a horrible December. You, Fez, were identifying Tom Brady's tendency to trail off at the end of the year five, six years ago. And isn't it a coincidence his best postseason during that time was the deflate gate year in which he missed four games. So now yes. game 16 is game 12, effectively. 
Does it make sense to you, Drew Brees, if he comes back 100%, will benefit from this time off? Yes, 41-year-old Drew Brees, and absolutely could benefit him. And let's contrast that to a guy like Big Ben. Wowza, how many hits? You know, Big Ben hasn't been sacked that much, but every game he plays, you got to worry about that wear and tear. Yeah, I think with Big Ben, it's not just hits. I think him getting out of bed at this <laughs> point might be the source of wear and tear. I'm RJ Bo straight out of Vegas. I heard someone on a podcast say, Big Ben moves around like it's after Thanksgiving dinner, and the kids say, come on, Uncle Ben, come out to play, and he waddles out to throw the football around in the backyard. And he's accurate. And let's be candid. As a Steelers fan, I always knew that would be where Big Ben ended up, but I kind of like it. Just throw a few less interceptions, all right? Just throw a few less interceptions. We're straight out of Vegas. I think, and Colin made a couple of points on top of this that were really sharp. One is, now Patrick Mahomes is coming in. In a game, let's accept that the Saints is probably hurts, or it certainly hurts their chances to be the number one seed. Let's assume they don't get the number one seed. They lose this game, they don't get it. But without the fans and such, it's not as big of a deal. The trade-off for Breeze resting, is it worth it? Maybe. That's a debate. But I think even more importantly, who likely would the Saints play in the Super Bowl? Well, it'd be Kansas City's the favorite by far in the East or in the AFC. So now, Saints get to see Mahomes, but Mahomes or the Saints, uh, Kansas City Chiefs don't get to see the Saints offense with Breeze, which is so different. I think that's strong. I do too. And again, credit to Colin and the herd here. This was a, you know, I listen to all this, or not all the shows, but I listen to as many as I can to try to gleam insights. This to me was a good one. Jonas, as a fan, does that resonate with you? Yeah, anytime you can get a, a look at somebody for uh, you know at, in the regular season and then see him again in the postseason, it's always an advantage. You've, you've brought this up before, Patriots-Giants back in 2007. The fact that the Giants got a glimpse at what the Patriots do, the fact that they could see that high-powered offense late in the season, that only helped them and benefited them once they got to the Super Bowl. And I think in that case, it proved to them they could play with them. Yeah. Right? Yep. Which was so huge in that game. Here, I think if the Saints lose without Breeze, they're so confident. They got so much experience. I don't think it hurts them as in, oh, we lose confidence. They Because, again, there's an excuse, a built-in excuse without Breeze. I also wonder for this game specifically, for this game specifically, Does this make Kansas City now maybe not show as much? Does this make the Saints not show as much on defense? Meaning, let's say they know what Kansas City does because they looked look at the film. Now they have a plan, but are they going to use that plan now or are they going to go vanilla on D? Vanilla meaning not sophisticated, not exotic, just to see or maybe make a move or two to see how they respond to it. So they talk about that sometimes if someone's looking, and you see this in movies, they're looking to break in a place, right? So they pull the fire alarm and they watch what, how do the guards react to that? How, who do they get on the C, you know, radio with? Is there one guard that's slower than the other? You know, that's a movie, but here, okay, let's double team Hill. Let's see how they handle it. Let, but if they have ideas, the Saints on how to beat this Kansas City offense, how to stop it, do they show those tricks now? I don't think so. 
So to me, this hurts the Saints even more than it seems in this game. Not just not having Breeze, but now I think the stakes going down and the inclination of the Saints to show everything goes down. Thoughts? Yeah, I think that that's strong. I wonder, though, does the same apply to Kansas City? Now, Kansas City was fighting for that number one seed with Pittsburgh all year long. But now, Kansas City's pretty in a really good position. They can lose this game. If they win their next two games, they're still going to get the one seed. So might that apply to KC as well? Ah, See, maybe... But I tell you, I don't think NFL teams think like if we just win the next two games. Because we've seen it all the time. And the, the thing I go back to all the time, and I heard something today that was made my stomach turn. I heard someone say that if Florida beats Alabama, they think Florida still would make it as a, as a two-loss team. Oh, come on. And I'm telling you right now... <laughs> It made my stomach turn a little bit, but it reminded me of the following. LSU, when they beat Ohio State, one of the last BCS games, was a two-loss team. I actually was at that game. It was in Louisiana. But WVU, West Virginia, they simply needed to win their final game. I think it was against Pitt, that rivalry game. Ah, yes. And they were 28-point favorites. Rich Rodriguez, 28-point favorites. And they lost. If they would have won that game, Rich Rodriguez would have been in the championship game against Ohio State. Buckeyes would have had a lot better chance than they had against LSU in that game, let me tell you. But it goes to show you, the Patriots, if anyone doesn't lose easy games, it's Bill Belichick. They lost the number two seed with the Dolphins. Uh, yes. So to me, I think in general, the Saints are going to play hard. I think they might hold something back. And in, in, in a way... It kind of almost becomes a building excuse for the team. If you actually think about it, you don't want your team feeling like losing to Kansas City if you lose is super meaningful. So what do you do? You tell everyone we're going to play as hard as possible, but we're holding a few tricks back. Now the players are going to be like, yeah, this is almost a free roll. Whereas I think with Kansas, because the Saints, it would be more about pride because if they don't win the game, it's going to be hard to win without Breeze. They don't win the game. They ha- it's really hard for them to get the number one seed, right? Almost impossible at that point. So it doesn't feel like the Saints are playing for as much. Kansas City's playing for the bye. Mm-hmm. So the irony here is, the irony is, I believe that this announcement or this reality about Breeze helps the Saints in the long term, helps the Super Bowl odds though it hurts him more than it might seem in this game because there's a significant drop from Breeze to Hill. We can debate how much that is, but it's significant. And then whatever question there is about the Saints showing everything now, I think it's greater than 0% chance they don't show everything do you agree with that generally? I do agree, but it seems that Vegas disagrees, right, when we look at this the money that's been coming in on the Saints here a little bit during the week, right? Well, but I think this announcement just happened, yeah. right? And the and what we've seen is, as much as we think the market's going to move instantly, often when things break in the afternoon, and then we're talking about them, and we say, boy, the market hasn't moved yet, usually by the next morning it has. That's a good point. So I, we'll check in tomorrow what the line is on this game. I'd be surprised if there's not significant Kansas City money. All right, let's do this. Let's take our first break, belatedly. When we come back, 
Now, I gave Colin a lot of credit there. I'm going to crush him on his take on the 18 playoff. He did give us some interesting news. He believes from three sources there's going to be an 18 playoff soon, but I think he's all wrong about what his conclusion is about it. He's RJ Bell. I'm Jonas Knox. This is the pregame show you've always wanted right here on Fox Sports Radio. Straight out of Vegas! Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. I'm R.J. Bell. We are straight out of Vegas. And I'm Jonas Knox, voice of you, the fan. Coming up here in just a couple of moments, we will take a closer look at the potential of an eight-team college football playoff. And for those just listening, remember, when I crushed Colin here, I gave him a ton of love in the first segment, so it's all evening out. It's a great day to join. Exciting day. This is the fastest growing show on Fox Sports Radio. Audience has doubled in the last year plus. Thank you so much for the support. We're going to work hard to finish this football season strong and lock it in as the best football season yet. You can listen on the iHeartRadio app. Just search for Straight Out of Vegas. In Vegas, on the Strip, right now, 60 degrees. The neon is flowing. And, RJ, before we get into the potential of an eight-team college football playoff, let's talk about a top 20. In celebration of Fox Sports Radio's 20th anniversary, we are naming the top 20 athletes of the past 20 years from 2000 all the way through 2020. So far, we've revealed numbers 4 through 20. In the latest reveal, fifth went to Serena Williams, and Michael Phelps came in fourth. And now we also know the top three. It comes down to Tom Brady, LeBron James, and Tiger Woods, who Who's the number one athlete of the past 20 years? Who's number two and who will come in third? It will all be revealed tonight on The Odd Couple with Chris Broussard and Rob Parker at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time, 6.30 p.m. Pacific, right here on Fox Sports Radio. With all the controversy in the college football playoff this year, RJ, the subject of an eight-team college football playoff has come up yet again, this courtesy of Colin Coward. Okay, so a couple days ago, I was hard on Colin about the following. He was saying, hey, if you're whining about Cincinnati being undefeated, quit your whine and get out of your basement. It's pathetic. Yeah, that's what he was saying, that kind of stuff, because we know that Georgia's better than Cincinnati. We know that Florida's better than Cincinnati. Oh, do we know for sure they're better in Coastal Carolina? Okay, maybe, maybe not. What we know is the computers say otherwise. And I think it's important to realize, and we've talked about this a few times, I'll say it quickly, that computers are so much more advanced than they used to be. In that you have just more talented, you know, Jeff Sagarin, USA Today, has been doing it for decades and decades, and he's actually still one of the best, in my opinion. But when it comes to just the overall how much uh, brain power is applied to figuring out who's the best football teams, best basketball teams, et cetera, it's massively different. Carnegie Mellon, which is a really you know top 25 type school in the Pittsburgh area, they have an entire department for sports analytics. They have multiple PhDs coming out of there, and they are really driving this revolution with analytics and you know this is now assessing from the outside not what the teams are doing but assessing how good the teams are for example about a year ago we hired mckenzie you hear his name 
He's a Yale grad. Now, 20 years ago, a Yale guy, he has his Yale shirt on today. I think that's a bit much. You know, I also <laughs> noticed on his, uh, Mackenzie, on your uh, bio on Twitter, I just noticed this yesterday, you've got Yale 12. Yep. I don't notice people like from Ball State that put <laughs> Ball State 08 or anything. Jonas, do you have your uh, call? I mean, like, it, it doesn't seem you see no, that very much, no, do you? No, no, it's, you know, but listen, you know, there's an opportunity and you've got to, you know, shine and, and showcase, <laughs> uh, you know, where you came from and he's got to do it. I get it. You know, I had a, a like a second or I have a second cousin that went to Stanford and she was in town maybe like 10 years ago, eight years ago. And she had a friend with her who went to Harvard. And she goes, yep, he dropped the H-bomb. So apparently with this whole culture, I don't know. I, you know, I went to a state school. But, you know, I what I know is that, that they seem to be very caught up in it. Even right? Fez never really brings up Northwestern. You don't hardly hear him say it. Well, let's be honest. When you when you go to the worst school in the, in the office, you don't want to necessarily talk about that as much, right, Fez? You and I are going head-to-head here. For the Big Ten Championship. Not really. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> <laughs> That's the I'm RJ Powell. What's the line in that game? 21? It's uh, t- down to 20. Money Ooh. on Northwestern. <laughs> that must mean Ohio State knows they're in, and they're all going to run it up. All right. So the reality is, we're straight out of Vegas. The reality is that the computers say, you know, BYU, still with the loss, is better than a Georgia, better than a Florida, a Coastal Carolina. At minimum, they're competitive. Well, what happens when they play? Well, we know the non-Power 5 in a major bowl wins about half the time, if not more. And you know what happens? We're told it doesn't matter. So Colin told us that, well... We know who's better because of the tiebreaker, which is recruiting. It's like, oh, okay. Except Clemson, by the way. Now, Clemson's become a good recruiting school. But we've talked about this for years. Alabama always one or two, one, two, or three. Clemson's average was like 12, 14, a couple years when they won the title. Now, 14 is very different than two. So it strikes me the idea that... You're getting the better players, but if you lose the game, we should say, you know what? Look at this guy's pedigree. No way he should have lost that game, so let's invalidate it. <laughs> and that sounds goofy, but isn't that what happens every time in, the, in, a, in a big six bowl that the, one, the best of the group of five win often, and we're told it doesn't matter. They weren't motivated. Exactly. It's the motivation card. How often do we have to hear that over and over when it, it just doesn't ring true, does it, that every single loss is based upon motivation? Well, I'll tell you this. If it is true, let's make them more motivated by when they lose those types of games, we put more group of fives in yes. later. And to say, hey, they can compete. But the point about the power eight or, or, or the 18 playoff and Colin, listen, just knowing Colin off air, what I can tell you, and I've said this a few times, he knows a lot of things he doesn't say on the show because he, he's told in confidence. You know, there's things Vegas related. I know that I can't talk about, though, anything I can, I do. But if it's told in confidence, I try to give a hint at it. 
And, and I think that's pretty common in the media. They'll say, trust me on this. When you hear that kind of thing, if it's a trustworthy person, they usually got a source they can't talk about. When Colin came out today and said, three people have told me that I trust because of COVID and the financial um, demands of that, that we're going to be in an 18 playoff, if not next year, the year after. That I take seriously. So applause to me on that. I think it's a great thing. But he followed up with, be careful what you wish for, because what we're going to see is the same teams win it. And you know what? He's probably right. And you know what? It doesn't matter. Because then the winner had to beat the person, that ha- any legitimate team that has the right to say we should have had a chance. Just like in basketball. Exactly. We said that. Matt Holt here, who comes in on Wednesdays with us, he made a great point. Hardly ever, never does a true Cinderella win the NCAA tournament. And they hardly ever make it to the Final Four. But you know what? No one complains because they had their shot. And to me, it's the American way to have your shot. And if the better team wins, let's salute them. Because you know what else is the American way? We love winners. Mm -hmm. But we don't love winners that are determined before the event happens. We don't like fixed things. When the NBA had the Tim Donahue scandal, David Stern was fanatical about squashing that story as best he could because he knows if the game's predetermined, who wants to watch it? Right? Wrestling's fun, but it isn't like an NCAA tournament game or a college football tournament or a college football playoff game. And the idea that if Florida wins, they win, and if they lose, they win because they're better. Look at the recruiting rankings. By the way, yesterday... Recruiting class 2021, let's see if we see any of these names. Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, LSU, Clemson, Oregon, Oklahoma, Florida. There's your top eight composite from 247 yesterday. I guess 247, I'm guessing. Okay. Okay, great. So now you got the better players. You know what? You lose two games, you're not going to be in the playoffs. And if Cincinnati loses zero with their crappy recruits, then let's celebrate it. Thoughts, Jones? Uh, I don't like the 18 playoff. I think it's, I think. Wait, so you, you like, wait, hold on a second. Yeah. You like just one bye <laughs> and only four teams no. in the playoffs. Uh, I don't, no, I don't like the one bye. I think we should have two buys, but I do like the extra wild card. So you've team converted. In the NFL. No, you've no, converted no, on no, the no. I've, I've been, I've been steadfast on it the whole time. The bye is what I don't like, but I do like the extra playoff team. Oh, okay. In the NFL. Okay. I just, okay. I don't know how you would make the math work, you know, when it comes to that. But when it comes to college football, football i don't like the eight teams i would be willing to go to six teams and the and the team the number one and two teams get and get their bye week and then you would have a quarterfinal which would be three versus six four versus five i just think if you add eight teams in they're playing more games which is going to water down the regular season in some spots and i just i think it's too many i don't think there's i don't think there's eight teams that are legitimate national title contenders as we speak but there's not 64 teams in, or 68 in the NCAA tournament either, and, right? And, and nobody cares about college basketball's regular season. Like, it's completely watered that down. 
but see, now that's an interesting question. If we went to 16 or more, I would agree. I guess here's the question. Actually, Mackenzie brought this up in our pre-show, which was, in Alabama, there's going to be certain games that don't matter. Oh, let me see. Kind of like this championship game, effectively, right? Because they're going to get in regardless. Yeah. Just like for Notre Dame. So, I guess in a weird way, what we're saying is there might be – Ten, eight or ten games the entire year that are diminished because of this. Meaning, because listen, with eight teams, hardly ever will a two-loss team get in. So yeah, if you're undefeated late, there might be a situation you're right, but it's going to be a championship game anyway that should have some stakes anyway. And, and I say all this knowing that we're going to have an eight-team playoff. I've known okay, that but for I, years. I want to hear what you think is wrong with. But, I, I don't, so like, give me an example of the games that you think would be watered down. I think there's going to be conference games that that are going to be looked at as well. You know, it's late in the season. You know, even if they lose, I mean, they're still in a spot to where they're going to go to a college football playoff because it's going to give you more wiggle room. I mean, specific games, they'll come up when that time arises and we do have an eight-team playoff, but I think that there's going to be situations late in the year to where a team is already a shoo-in because if they're one or two, I find it hard to believe one loss is going to bump them out of the top eight. All right. Well, listen, I think this is going to be an ongoing conversation. I'm anxious to have it. Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. I'm Jonas Knox, voice of you, the fan. He's the voice of Vegas, RJ Bell. This is our last break, last segment. We won't be asking Waikiki or the rest of the island. We will be asking who's going to win this game tonight. Fez has a best bet on it. That's coming up next. He's RJ Bell. I'm Jonas Knox. This is the pregame show you've always wanted, and it's money-making time here on Fox Sports Radio. Right out of Vegas! Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. I'm R.J. Bell. We're straight out of Vegas. And I'm Jonas Knox, voice of you, the fan. R.J., week 15 in the NFL kicks off later on tonight, about a half hour from now on Fox. It is the Chargers in your backyard in Las Vegas taking on the Raiders. Right now, Vegas, a three-and-a-half-point favorite. I have a special announcement, though, Jonas. I got 75 with 80. 80. 80. I'm going to have one of my epiphany best bets on tonight's game. It hit me during the break. We did the data check. First, though, we double up. Fez's best bet. So best bet is on a prop. I'm going to go wide receiver, Las Vegas, Nelson Aguilar, to go over 61 reception yards. This is all about recency, RJ. Year to date, he's only averaging 49. So why am I going over 61? Because the last four games, Carr is going to him. Aguilar's averaged 70 per game, last four games, but I love the fact he's getting targeted nine times a game. That's basically double what he was getting targeted early in the year, and because of that, and with the Raiders' number one wide receiver, Ruggs being out for this game, that helps Aguilar as well. I'm going over 61 reception yards, Aguilar. Makes sense. Jones, how does that resonate with you? As You can be like the peer review of, as the fan. Well, there's a lot of people that have fantasy implications that are seeing Nelson Aguilar on their waiver wires and it's playoff time in fantasy football. So it feels like he's, for whatever reason, figured out his drops issues in Philadelphia and he's actually had a pretty good rapport with Carl season. 
I think in the game itself, we got to acknowledge there's been or not got to acknowledge. It's important to acknowledge a lot of significant money on the Raiders. So this thing went from three to three and a half, and coming off a three on a big primetime game takes real money, wouldn't you say, Fess? Yeah, big time, and that happened uh, late this morning where it just um, power move up to three and a half, and it stayed there. And that game day moves, it's when the public starts to have their say. And I always am more comfortable betting against game day moves. Okay, one factor than my best bet. McKenzie... Yale 12 did, uh, this <laughs> did this research today, and I thought it was good. Um, we all know the Chargers special teams are bad, but how bad are they? What is the quantifiable – what's a quantifiable way to assess how bad it is? It's literally cost them over 70, or 70 points this season, 5.7 per game. Now, if you adjust the Chargers' point differential by that amount, they are better than a 500 team mathematically. So think about that. If all the Chargers did was become average at special teams this season, if that's all they had accomplished, average, not better than average, they would probably be, at least by points, a better than 500 team. So hugely substantial. Now, Coach Lynn took over special teams, and it didn't seem to get any better last week. The Raiders are above average of special teams. I don't see any reason the Chargers get better here. There's a lot of randomness to it, but I think it's a big problem for the Chargers. So here's my best bet. This is a little nuanced. Over total points in the fourth quarter, over 14. That number's out there right now, right, Fed? Yes, that's the market. Like, I'm going to bet it as we're talking here. Well, I'll wait for 90 seconds. <laughs> but here's the rationale. If you look at the Raiders on the season, we know they're a high-scoring team. In the first quarter, they score, or this is their defense now, their defense who actually fired their D.C. We could say that's a good thing. I'm not sure if changing to kind of a Tampa 2 zone, I think on a short week it's problematic. But okay, that's good for us. But on the season, the Raiders have given up 13% more in the first quarter than the average team, 23% more in the second quarter. Okay, so they're above average or below average defense. They give up less in the third quarter. Wow. But 60% more in the fourth quarter. So 7.3 or 7.1 is the average of what a team gives up in the fourth quarter. They give up 11.4. But here's the kicker. Why would a team be bad in the fourth quarter? Fatigue. They're probably not in shape like they should be. This is a short week. So if you got a team who's out of shape, I got Jonas nodding, baby. I know I got something. <laughs> if you got a team who is fatigued generally on half as much rest, I think it's a big, big factor here. Because of that, best bet, one of my epiphany specials. Over fourth quarter. That's both teams scoring 14 points at minus 110. 20 seconds, Fez. What do you think? Love the fact that the Raiders had two East Coast trips and then one game at home and now a short week, even more fatigue. Oh, so listen, you never know when you're going to get an epiphany best bet. Let's hope it cashes. If you missed any of today's show, including an epiphany best bet and a breakdown of tonight's game between the Raiders and Chargers, check out the podcast at foxsportsradio.com. We are back. 
back tomorrow, 6 Eastern time, right here on FSR. Right out of Vegas! 